0: The Pat Kenny Show with
1: Aviva Insurance on News
0: Talk. Gaza is reportedly witnessing the fiercest fighting in the region since the conflict began between Israel and Hamas five weeks ago. Uh, joining me now to talk about what is going on is Professor Scott Lucas from the Clinton Institute at University College Dublin. Scott, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, Pat. Uh, tell me about the uh, Israeli military campaign now, because they had focused on Gaza City, then they're moved uh, towards Khan Yunus, and they appear to be in the heart of the city. What's going on?
1: So, you know, from a military point of view, Pat, the Israeli rationale is that the highest ranking Hamas leaders, uh, including Yahya Sinwar, uh, who they say is, you know, basically the commander, effective commander of Hamas forces, uh, are now in the southern Gaza Strip and are in Han Yunus. So the Israeli military is making the argument that they've got to actually go into the city, they've got to go into the tunnels, uh, as well as above ground, uh, because this is their ultimate target, you know, as Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said, to destroy Hamas. From a wider point of view, however, Uh, the Israelis had said in phase one of their operation uh, before uh, the ceasefire that ended last Friday, they had said to the civilians of Gaza, look, we're going to attack the north. That's where our operations will be. If you go to the southern Gaza Strip, you'll be safe. Now, quite clearly, that's no longer the case. And so the Israelis are now saying, you know, well, we're going to be attacking all across the Gaza Strip, but there are small areas on these maps that we're printing out. And uh, you civilians, you can go there uh, to these very, very small patches of land, and there you might be safe. Uh, As the UN said yesterday, you know, this is not scientific. uh, This is not rational. This is not possible. Uh, The reality here is, is that we do have an Israeli campaign, which is trying to take out Hamas's leadership. But at the same time, it is inevitable uh, there are going to be a high number of civilian casualties.
0: Now, how close is Israel to losing any kind of international support uh, for its efforts, given the humanitarian disaster it is, you know, deliberately inflicting? um, You know, they will say they're not deliberately targeting civilians, but that's the inevitable consequence of uh, the way they're approaching this. Uh, How close are they to losing that international support?
1: We've lost the international support, Pat. I mean, I, I think if you look at the reality, this isn't just simply a reaction from the Irish Taoiseach, from Leo Varadkar, or from the Irish community. This is a reaction of most of Europe's leaders, most of Europe's populations. Uh, this is a reaction of countries like Canada, of course, countries in the Middle East itself. Even in the United States now, which of course you know, is historically seen as pro-Israel, uh, there's a clear majority of the American population that is against Israel continuing these operations. Uh, but the cold reality is, Pat, I don't think the Israeli leadership cares that they've lost the international support. I think they made the decision they were going to proceed even if they are internationally isolated. Uh, I think there was a few weeks ago when we talked, I, you know, the Israeli foreign minister was saying, look, we only have a two to three week window before the diplomatic pressure might be too much, but I think the War Cabinet has decided they'll plow ahead nonetheless. I'll add one caveat, important caveat to to this, Pat, and that is even if Israel has lost a lot of political and diplomatic support, including from the Americans, while the American's leadership has been saying this past week, you have to limit the civilian casualties, the military reality is, and we've got this from American officials, is that the Americans have provided 15,000 bombs. And more than 50,000 artillery shells to the Israelis. 100 of those bombs are bunker busters, you know, those bombs that are notorious for collapsing both buildings and underground structures, and significantly, more than 10,000 of those bombs are unguided. They're not precision weapons. You know, the fact is, is that the U.S., even if it diplomatically has been trailing Israel to pull back, uh, has enabled, you know, Israel to move into this next phase of the assault. And as long as the Israelis have the armaments, Well, they'll deal with the politics and the diplomacy later.
0: Now, the tunnels we're uh, hearing about, most of us have an image of a tunnel, maybe below a cellar or whatever. But some of the hostage testimony seems to suggest that these tunnels could be maybe five stories down below the basement. Uh, Very, very deep tunnels indeed, which uh, might be impervious to bombardment. And I'm wondering how they would compare to the kind of tunnels that the North Vietnamese were building during the Vietnam War.
1: Well, that's a really good analogy, Pat, in terms of that the North Vietnamese, you know, were using these tunnels uh, to survive against the American bombing. Uh, they were using it, of course, to move around not just North Vietnam, but they were using these tunnels to be able to penetrate and go into South Vietnam itself. I think the distinction here is, is that you know, these tunnels that Hamas you know, have been building up for years, this is a city underneath a city. Uh, you know, this is a way for Hamas uh, to survive, not just as a military force, but as an effective governing authority governing from below ground. Uh, the Israelis are now saying, and this was part of their PR yesterday, to well, we'll flood the tunnels. You know, we'll flood the tunnels, that will take care of Hamas. That's easier said than done. So I think again, as with so much of this war, it's one thing to say that you can destroy Hamas. Uh, it's another to actually be able to describe, well, exactly how are you going to do that, even as the Israelis are moving into Han Yunus? Uh, and even if you destroy Hamas, let's say even if you wipe them out as a military force, you know, there will still be tunnels. And more importantly, there will be a above ground a political vacuum who then will oversee Gaza if Hamas is gone.
0: Now, they uh, are bent on destroying the Hamas infrastructure, but of course, they're destroying the ordinary infrastructure as well. The buildings, the schools, um, the, the roads that need to be repaired, power generation, uh, telephonic communication, all of that. So a massive job to be done when all of this is is over, Um, but really a country in ruins.
1: You know, during the, and you and I have discussed for years, uh, when the Assad regime tried to quell um, the opposition, and at the end of the day, the, the Assad regime's philosophy, and they said this openly, was burn the country. Israel has carried out Water effectively scorched earth tactics, and we need to realize that. Uh, almost half of of the hospitals in Gaza now are no longer in service. Those that are in service are at reduced capacity, sometimes providing only basic services. Almost every UN shelter has been hit uh, or there have been areas nearby who have hit it. Uh, many schools have been hit, many mosques have been hit, and you know and, and the the most modern buildings in Gaza now are, are rubble. Uh, We can talk later on about what that means in terms of reconstructing Gaza. The question here is whether we even get to reconstruction. Uh, Just one cold statistic, you know, Gaza has 2.3 million people in one of the most densely populated areas on Earth. 1.8 million are now displaced, uh, more than 75 percent of the population. And they do not have homes to go back to, even if this war was to stop tomorrow.
0: Now, the Israeli justification for uh, the attacks on Gaza uh, emanate from October the 7th. And, you know, they uh, had been showings of some of the activities of Hamas and others who entered Israel, uh, privately shown to journalists to show the horror of what was endured. Um, Much of this is more public now with uh, testimony as to the use of sexual violence by Uh, The Hamas insurgents and others who came across the border, uh, gang rapes, mutilation, genital mutilation, um, the summary execution of women, women being left naked from the waist down, uh, all of this uh, gruesome stuff, which um, had not been really made public. And even when it was made public, not necessarily acknowledged by people who would be supporting the plight of the Palestinians.
1: Yeah, let's be very clear here, Pat, that, you know, I I think it was very clear even at the time on October 7th that what Hamas had done was commit a war crime, um, war crimes, sorry, in the plural, that we were talking about the mass killing of uh, Israeli civilians, of foreign nationals, that we were talking about mass kidnappings, uh, that we knew, I think even at the time of the attacks, that these, these weren't clean murders. These were people that were mutilated, that were destroyed beyond recognition. And now we have the stories of sexual violence as well. Um, So I think we have to say from the outset, even as we talk about what's happening in Gaza right now, it should not obscure the fact that Hamas started this current cycle of violence with those war crimes. That being said, at the same time, um, and the stories of each of these people, each of these witnesses have to be heard. But we have to be careful that. The Israeli leadership don't just use these stories just to simply say, well, here is, here's the entirety of what has happened. The reality of the matter here is, Pat, is that there were war crimes committed on October the 7th with many hundreds of civilians, of innocents who lost their lives or who were sexually abused or who were taken captive. And since October 7th, there have been many thousands of innocents who have been killed who have lost their relatives, who have lost their homes, who have lost their futures. This is not an either-or situation. Both sides, and I'll just say this bluntly as a person rather than analyst, both sides, Hamas and the Israeli leadership, have blood on their hands that will never be washed away.
0: The impact of these revelations, I mean, the BBC has been reporting what it now knows Uh, And you always have to beware of propaganda in the fog of war. Uh, But it does seem clear that uh, the Israelis retrieved footage from uh, the bodies of Hamas uh, militants that they had seized. And the body cameras indicate the nature of the crimes. Does it change anything in the way, for example, the UN will react to what's going on? Because uh, the complaint has been by Israel that there's not an equality of condemnation.
1: Look, I'm going to say again and be very honest with you, Pat, that that I've watched in frustration as not just, you know, many people on social media, but many activists, um, many, indeed many journalists and academics have excused what Hamas has done since October 7th, have tried to bury it, have tried to talk about the fact that this is just the Palestinian resistance and resistance is justified. In other words, they've refused to acknowledge the extent of the war crimes. Israel has made that clear. But let's talk about the UN. The fact of the matter is is that the UN from the start has talked about both what Israel has done in terms of harming, threatening civilians in Gaza, and from the start, the UN has talked about the war crimes committed by Hamas. Uh, The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has been explicit about this. And what Some Israeli diplomats have done, not all, but some Israeli diplomats have done, and what the Israeli leadership has done is actually falsely said that the UN has not called out Hamas for what it has done, that it is picking on Israel. And I'm going to say this one more time. This is not an either-or issue. This is not a case of choosing a side and excusing what it has done by looking at the war crimes committed by the other. If we are to be human beings here, if we are to be decent. We do not choose a side but recognize that both the leaderships in Gaza and in Israel are culpable here, and it is only when both leaderships step back from their mass killing of civilians that we have any kind of future for people in Israel as well as in Gaza.
0: One of my listeners, Tom, says, uh, can I ask, do the Israelis really think they will wipe out a by using such brutal, inhumane force on thousands of innocent civilians? Roll the clock back 20 years, and the United States thought they'd wipe out the Taliban. When the U.S. left Afghanistan a couple of years back, who's now in charge? And the answer is the Taliban.
1: Yeah, I, I, Pat, we could actually talk about Israeli history and do this. We could talk about the fact that the, you know the Israelis went into Beirut, uh, not only to force Palestinian uh, the PLO to leave Beirut, but to try to wipe out resistance to Israel in Beirut in the early 1980s in Lebanon, and they got bogged down and they had to retreat. We can talk about in 1996 that they attacked Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon trying to wipe out Hezbollah and they had to retreat. Uh, the same thing happened in 2006 in Lebanon. They have fought inconclusive wars with Hamas on four previous occasions before this one. So no, they they haven't been able to wipe out uh, the military uh, resistance to them. And indeed, what the international community has told the Israelis is, look, you'll only drive civilians into the arms of, if not Hamas, then others who are dedicated to destroying Israel if you keep this up. But now I'm going to say something coldly and bluntly again to your listeners. Benjamin Netanyahu, he may think he could wipe out Hamas, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because in part, this cycle of violence started on October 7th, when Hamas exploited the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu had divided Israeli society, had sent it into months of turmoil because he wanted to avoid going to prison. That was why his campaign against the Israeli judiciary was launched. And so the Israeli leadership is invested pursuing this campaign even if they don't know where it leads that's true for Benjamin Netanyahu it's true for the defense minister Yoel Gallant and it's even true for the other member of the war cabinet the former head of the military Benny Gantz even though he said we don't have an end game here he said that at the uh, at this last month and so far Israel doesn't have an end game but you know what for political reasons at this point i don't think it matters to the war cabinet
0: Scott Lucas, professor and political analyst at the Clinton Institute at University College Dublin Scott. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.